Welcome to Binge Boys. I'm Hal Rudnick, and with me as always is Lon Harris. Lon, what the hell is going on with you, my friend? Hey, hey, what's going on, Hal? Oh, not too much. I want to give a shout out to Owl Nation. Hoot, hoot. Are there any owls out there? Also, I want to give a thanks to Starburns for having us. Yeah. So, Lon, anything catch your eye in streaming news this week or just in general that you want to get off your chest? you have a bone to pick with anything? Lots. Lots, lots of news in the world of streaming already this week. Oscar Isaac going to play our Moon Knight. We're going to have a, a legit, openly explicitly Jewish superhero, Hal. Oi vey, it's about time. What a mitzvah for our people. Played by Oscar Isaac. Is he a Jew? Is he? I, I feel like after... I believe he's Latinx. Yeah, I, I believe after Inside Lewin Davis, maybe he's an honorary member of the tribe. Like he, Inside Jewin Davis? Yeah, it was such a compelling, convincing portrait of Judaism that I feel like, <laughs> all right, all right, he can be part of it. All right, he could play a wayward Jew in form of a knockoff Bob Dylan, so... Yeah, so I, I really like the Moon Knight character. That is exciting. We've also got Adam Sandler's going to play a uh, spaceman, an astronaut, in a uh, Netflix limited series based on a Czech sci-fi novel. Oh, interesting. So it's called Spaceman in Bohemia. It's like uh, an astronaut, he's on a solo eight-year mission to investigate mysterious clouds of space dust and he like kind of goes a little crazy all by himself okay so we got like sort of a, a dramedy adam sandler a little bit i like the different flavors that sandler has in his repertoire when he's not just going to the into the grown-ups well as far as space-based programming i'm really looking forward to what is it Moonbase eight with john c Riley, fred armison and tim heidecker i mean that's a dangerous combo of funny folks they are actually just i believe in the arizona desert they are planning prepping in case they one day get to go to space which they they will not get to do oh spoiler you just spoiled it for me no no that's not that's the, that's the setup of the show that's the plot i didn't even know that though so even if they <laughs> give it away in the first five minutes i hate you now because you spoiled it for me i'll eventually i forgive mean you. i have not seen the show so i don't believe neither have i it hasn't spoiled yet it premieres on showtime in november yeah but that's what i'm saying these can't be spoilers obviously these are things i know from the marketing well i go into everything blind totally cold i understand <laughs> Even the title technically is a spoiler for him. Oh, if, yes, uh, I, I like to, I just turn on the TV and whatever's on, I watch. Yeah. Lon, you had another piece of news. What is it? I have two, two more, actually. One, this Assassin's Creed thing. So Ubisoft, the video game publisher, and Netflix have made a deal. They're going to make multiple projects, multiple projects based on the Assassin's Creed video game series, which was already a terrible failed movie with michael fassbender fassbender has some dubious choices that snowman <laughs> yeah oh snowman wow he, he could have saved her they gave him all the clues did you see the john daly music video about the snowman mr police <laughs> i gave you all the clues have you seen the snowman have you seen the actual film i've never i, I haven't watched it is it going to give me the so bad it's good is it going to be entertaining the thing about it is it's not so bad it's good it, like it's not funny bad like the happening or something no it is it's incomprehensible and it, it's because it's like 
70% of the movie. Like a bunch of the movie, they didn't even shoot a whole bunch of the script. And then they <laughs> cut a bunch more out in the editing room. So it's not the complete story. So it's impossible to follow. There's also two more things I got to tell you about it, both of which are unbelievable, but true. Uh-oh. Oh, more spoilers, Lon? Val Kilmer, and this is sad, like he was ill around the time they were making the movie. He's, he's still not totally recovered, I don't think. But he could not speak clearly. So his entire role is ADR. It's dubbed. So they shoot a lot of the time like behind his head or something. So you're uh. watching an entire Val Kilmer performance where you're not hearing his voice, and it's really obvious. Oh, young Val Kilmer. I don't think we knew what we had when we had him. No. Because top secret, real genius. Like, those are some comedy classics. And then playing the heavy, the antagonist to Tom Cruise's Maverick, Iceman. In, in, in Top Gun, sure. Yeah, in Top Gun. Dieter von Kunz and MacGruber. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I mean, great in a whole lot of movies. Yeah, of course, Tombstone. But then the other crazy thing, so Chloe Sevigny is playing twins in the finished movie, but that was not part of the script. Like, as shot, she was playing one character, and then in the editing room, they were like, what if she was playing twins instead? That's the level of incomprehensibility. But Assassin's Creed, like, I just, I don't know. I don't really feel like this is... This is a filmable thing that would work. Like they're 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 popular video games, and I get it. But this whole idea of like modern people and they get into a machine and then it takes them back into their memories from all sorts of different periods of history where they're fighting Templars. It's just like I don't really see this as being like we need eight shows based in this world. Yeah. Wow. So like eight different series. No, no, not eight. I'm exaggerating. There are going to be multiple series that take place in the Assassin's Creed universe. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they got a little hubris after seeing how well Sonic the Hedgehog did at the box office and uh, and, and review-wise. And they're like, you know what? This We can crack this video game nut. Yeah. So they're going to start with a live-action series, and then they're like, maybe another animated series? Maybe an anime series? You don't know. You don't know. Don't try to tie us down. I don't know. And you don't want to know, Lon. I really don't want to know. You want them to put this to bed. I just, I like, uh, oh, this season is a Viking. And then this season is like, I'm already out. I just like, it's, uh, it's all, that's all too much. And then the last thing I wanted to talk about is we already know that we've got an Animaniacs reboot coming on Hulu. And then today they've announced that there is a Tiny Toon Adventures reboot Ooh. from uh, Gendy Tartakovsky. He's the guy that did Samurai Jack, the original Clone Wars cartoon. Now he's doing that very good primal show for Adult Swim. Uh, but that's going to be on HBO Max and Cartoon Network. So I, I don't, can you have Tiny Toons and Animaniacs on two different services? This just feels like, this feels like a violation to me. Yeah, it should be a Looney Tunes hour or something. They, they right? always, those two projects just have to go together. They traditionally go together. Yeah, followed by DuckTales. By, and then... <laughs> well, no, that's the Disney afternoon hour. Come on. Oh, okay. I mean... You know what? And honestly, Sorry. and honestly, how dare you? I know. I conflated Donald and Daffy. Gummy like, bears and ducktails and tailspin and then rescue rangers. You had rescue rangers. They need to they need to bring back gummy bears, but have them be edibles now. <laughs> Edi the edible gummies. Hi, we're the edibles. For the nostalgic people who remember gummy bears from when they were kids, but now require CBD and everything. 
oh, you know all those motherfuckers are getting high with their nostalgia, so <laughs> it would go hand in hand. Yeah. Lon, let's get into some stuff we've been watching. So Yeah, let's talk shows. We are in a very spooky season. I'm not going to, you know, I, I got to give uh, Halloween its props. And we watched a couple of spooky things. The Haunting of Bly Manor, which is a follow-up to uh, Haunting of Hill House. Yes. Last So year. many hauntings, all these hauntings to get through. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, listen, there are ghosts out there, and they're going to haunt. You can't stop a troubled soul. You're going to have ghosts. Haunting. That's how you get gravity wells. We all know it. There'd be ghosts. I found this show to be a bit of a slow burn, Lon. I also, it wasn't quite scary. It spooked me out a little bit, but it didn't make me like, oh, I don't want to go out in the dark, or I don't want to watch this alone with the lights off. It, it didn't scare me to death. It was just a little spooky. I'm glad that it did not scare you to death. I mean that figuratively, Lon. It's good. Most shows not trying to actually murder the viewer. Yeah, I, I agree. I feel like the first season, The Haunting of Hill House did a really good job of balancing it's scary and it works as a horror ghost story. And there's an emotional side. There's a dramatic story. I'm interested in the characters of this family and what happened to them. And season two is so much about the characters and their intertwining stories and the drama being the sort of the romance of it that I feel like it doesn't pay very much attention to being a horror series about ghosts. And it's really just this kind of family drama with this very odd supernatural sort of structure. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, there, there were some scary moments. There's like this little girl who's like, looks like, if I had to describe her appearance, I'd be like, oh, that's Slenderman's daughter, basically. Uh, she had the similar face. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, they're, they're right. There's creepy imagery. And, and, and as with Hill House, there are shots where if you look in the background, there are like ghosts and other... A couple of jump scares in there. But it took a long time to unpack the, the scary stuff that we were, we were seeing and like the first two or three episodes just kind of allude to something scary that might come and th that's not enough bang for my buck it was it and then it's just a little too mannered and twee along the way even though i love seeing henry thomas working i love I, i'm glad elliot from et is getting out there yeah i wasn't crazy about these super posh aristocratic accent it just didn't feel super realistic and then carla gugino and, and it is explained in the show but she is doing this irish lilt and she narrates the entire series yes it, it is it's like why is a 20s police officer narrating it's like oh let me tell you a story about ghosts in bloy manor all right, scallywags, don't you have a home? Get out of the street or I'll whack you with me, Billy. Cox. Right, it's like, if you promise not <laughs> to take me lucky charms, I'll tell you a tale of ghosts, matey. And it's just like, I don't, I, is this necessary? We all know she's American. And you know what a house of cards falls under any scrutiny? The fact that she is telling this story at a like a wedding it's reception? a rehearsal it's a rehearsal dinner yeah so people are sitting having drinks you know like conversation people are getting drunk enjoying themselves at a, a wedding rehearsal dinner and she's like can i tell you a long story that's going to take hours for me to tell and everyone's like sure and and the other thing to think about if you actually start thinking about the bookend of this is a story 
she's jumping around. She's like leaving things out and then like, oh, let me go back to that one point, you know. And like she's like saying things for dramatic effect that obviously are meant to pair with visuals. Or she's like, and every night she would get up and pace around and then go back to sleep, wake up, walk around, go back to sleep. And they're like, are you telling this story to people? They'll be like, okay, yes, we get it. Like, Move, like, like, we're at a we're at a rehearsal dinner, lady. Move it along. Yeah, I I think they should have cut back, and they never cut back to the scene of her telling the story, right? No, well, because I think that would that would highlight for us the ridiculousness of this all being. I know, but they should, and like they should, like you know, but like we go back to her and we see her face telling the story, and then the camera pans around the people who are listening to her, and like their eyes are fluttering, they're, they're like texting, like I'm at they're this like, wedding yeah, and this lady, I'm gonna go, uh, <laughs> still still telling this story. It's like hour six, man. You got to save me. You remember Million Dollar Baby, where they do the same thing. Like the, the the conceit is the entire movie is Morgan Freeman's been writing this letter to Clint Eastwood's daughter. Like, let me tell you about what a great guy your dad was. But he included a subplot about himself and this other guy he was training. Like, why would you include that in a letter to your friend's daughter? Like, in case you don't think that story's meaty enough, let me fill in this B story for you. I think you've been sitting on that million dollar baby hot take for a long time, Lon. Years, years and years. Finally, it comes out. I just I like that. I like that. Like your bookending conceit is so elaborate, like in this one. And honestly, the payoff of that is not that great. Yeah. Like by the time you get around to like why Carly Gugino is telling them this story in this Irish voice, you're like, okay, yeah, I guess. Fair enough. Uh, agreed. I mean, don't get me wrong. There were some moments that I found to be uh, inventive and kind of cool to follow. The housekeeper, Mrs. Uh, Gross. Mrs. Anna Gross. Mrs. Gross. Yeah. Yeah. When it was revealed that these multiple timelines in the ghost world are existing concurrently, that was a fun little mind game to jump back and forth with. I don't know if it works that cleanly. I, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like we they get into a little bit of a problem where you can only have so many characters at once who aren't experiencing objective reality. Like the the show by episode four or five, the show kind of becomes untethered in time and space. I found that a fun distraction. Yeah, so many people in this house are not experiencing like linear narrative time. They're like jumping around, or they're already dead, or they were dead, or. They're haunted by something or they're they're just unmoored from time and space in the conventional way. Then it's like we almost stop moving forward. Like the story just constantly is a series of going back and catching back up to the same moment in time over and over again. And it's like that's not really a good way to tell a story, especially if you're at a wedding and people are like, get to the point. Oh, for sure. But it, they were doing like a little bit of world building and exploration of the rules of the ghost. Right, but you've got to figure out a way to weave that in, like to time still moving forward. Yeah, the story became inner. Yeah. And the war and it just focused on kind of the rules of this world, which are still kind yeah, of. Yeah, I mean, without getting too lost in the weeds, like episode, it's only nine episodes. And episode eight right. is another like, well, let's go back and see how this started. And it's like, yeah, we're on episode eight, man. Man, like just move things forward like tell me what happens like i'm tired of endlessly memories inside memories inside hauntings inside fantasies inside memories yeah i mean and here's the thing there are some powerful emotional connections in here 
I'm just saying it's not quite my cup of tea to, uh, uh, you know, pun in, intended for uh, the British uh, connection there. They call but, tea brew, which really threw me off. There's a scene where she's like, come join us for a brew. And I was like, beer in the middle of the afternoon in this country house? All right, I you're guess. day drinking? Yeah. But no, it means tea to me. Yeah, I mean, there are definitely some enjoyable relationships and the, uh, the protagonist, the au pair, I thought she was fine. All the actors, it's, yeah, it's not well a knock acted, well constructed. But yeah, I, it's light haunting. It's light scares. I want a little bit more. If I'm going to go into the horror genre, is it even fair to call this horror? I mean, it's gothic horror. It's 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 in that same like that Romance, peak romantic territory. It reminded me some of the there is a great 60s movie called The Innocence that's based on the same Henry James story, The Turn of the Screw, with Deborah Kerr in the au pair role. It was actually directed by Jack Clayton, which is why they make the au pair Mrs. Clayton in Bly Manor. It's like it's a horror movie, but it's a dusting of horror. It's really this like. Sure. What was that Guillermo del Toro movie from a few years ago? That's the one I mentioned. Crimson Peak. Oh, yeah. Crimson Peak. Yeah. With Charlie Hunnam. Also Tom Hiddleston. Yes. So, yeah, we're kind of in that ballpark. So if that sounds like uh, your cup of brew, go get it. Me, I want a little more. Like, I want to be I want to be scared to death. Blood and Still guts, Rudnick, they call him. He wants he wants to see all the gore, especially if I'm searching out horror for this season. Real, I, yeah. real gore hound. Yeah, I want to I just want to be I just want to be spooped out of my underwear. <laughs> Uh, that's a, a terrible with, I'm sorry with pants but, still on just underwear yes that's, like that's my how under- you really Whoa. know you've been spooked my, my underpants are across the room ah, what a scare that was crazy lon so speaking of hauntings as i so often am yes you wanted to pitch a few other potential hauntings for the show's yeah well uh, I'm, I'm worried too. about them every new season they need a new house to get haunted they're gonna run out of gothic horror novels at some point so i thought you know what as long as we're haunting a new place every season, maybe haunt some places from classic TV, some places that we already know. So would these be major crossover events? I, that's exactly what I think. I think Flanagan... Mike Flanagan, the creator of... Yeah, can yeah. branch this out, this franchise out in a million new directions. Let's cross up some universes here. So I'll give you an example. The haunting of Jerry Seinfeld's apartment. I think I think there's a lot of potential mileage here. Jerry discovers he's been opening and drinking the same bottle of Snapple for years. That's terrifying. <laughs> Elaine's been coming up with ideas for a lot of vintage outfits for Jay Peterman from all of the ghosts from throughout the eras that are lingering, lingering around the apartment. Uh, George is being terrorized by the ghost of Susan, his dead fiance. Also, maybe the ghost of shrinkage from the pool. <laughs> sure. Yes. Right. Jerry, I was in the pool. I was in the ghoul. I was in the ghoul. Yeah. And then uh, Kramer has a dark vision of an alternate reality where he's a stand-up comedian who horribly offends people with his racist-tinged humor. Yeah, it always comes back to Michael Richards at the Laugh Factory. Oh, God forbid. Oh, let me tell you one thing. I was standing uh, in front of the Laugh Factory because I live in West Hollywood with my wife. And I was walking. I would think I was walking the dogs. And the TMZ tour bus drives by. And they said... This is the site of Michael Richards' downfall, where he <laughs> shamefully went on a racist tirade. I'm like, damn, Michael Richards can't get away from that. And that's the only notable thing that's ever happened there. That's it. Their one claim to fame. 
yeah, like who cares about like, you know, the some of the greatest comedians being launched or anything like that. Nothing else has ever happened at the Laugh Factory. It's exclusively maybe nothing else TMZ worthy. <laughs> it's exclusively the site of Michael Richards' downfall. Oh, like, and Richard Pryor, who's that? Yeah, right. <laughs> Oh, in in your Seinfeld, I, I love the haunting of Seinfeld's apartment. And I, I, I would see Wayne Knight, maybe Newman as one of like someone ruling the underworld. Well, I feel like he's one of the like, you know, you pan and you see like random spirits in the background. Like who's to say Newman's not there? Mr. Pitt, perhaps looming presence. I feel like the the Chinese restaurant episode with the amazing James Hong. Yes. As the maitre d' that kind of is an allegory for being in purgatory. Could could be. I got another example. Oh, yeah. The haunting of Quantum Leap. Like, what if the Quantum Leap accelerator had ghosts in it? Because already, ghosts are traveling through time. So talk about the one group of people that would not be impressed by Dr. Sam Beckett's ability to appear at different points throughout his own life. They're like, so what? I've been doing this for years already. They're jaded on quantum leaping. Wow. So now with these, let me ask you this. So Dr. Beckett is going back and writing some wrongs, to helping people throughout history. What, what would these would the what would these ghosts uh, do? Just still trying to haunt and rake havoc? No, they're just what? standing around, chain smoking. Like, oh, it's you again. I'm not impressed. I'm not impressed by this. Heckling. They're he- they're just heckling. I've been here since 1935. Now it's 1965. I'll be here in 2015. What else you got? Yep. Jackass. Yep. Yeah, that's that sounds. These ghosts are jaded. Yeah, these are they're mean. Listen, these are faceless ghosts, and they're mean. Oh. Lon, I came up with one based on your game. Let's hear it. The haunting of the set of Maury. Oh, that is terrible. The Maury Povich show, and all of the ghosts are the unclaimed children. So when Maury says, You are not the father, yeah. the ghost, that's a troubled spirit right there. So Restless, just in this stuck in the studio. Get ready for Maury's actual final thought. <laughs> Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, that's it. Last one he's ever going to have. Maybe it'll be, listen, everyone, I was the father of them all. Or he was the father of them all. Yes. The Haunting of Fraggle Rock, I feel like, would be something that I would love to see. Now, to our uh, listeners out there who are of a certain age, Fraggle Rock took place in the 80s, and it was an offshoot of Jim Henson Studios. HBO oh, okay. Max is going to revive uh, going to revive the Fraggles. Down in Fraggle Rock? Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's like these underground rats, basically. They're not. Rats. They're Fraggles. Yeah, but, yeah, and then much like rats. They eat all of these little buildings that have been constructed by different creatures called doozers. And I'm yes, suggesting the doozers. And I'm suggesting the doozers have been dead this whole time. Gotcha. Uh, which is troubling. Oh, okay. And uh, they get advice uh, from the trash heap outside a sentient mound of garbage. Obviously, this is the result of some kind of a haunting. Would the doozers be more like boozers? No, no. Like, I'm going to go and- ahead and explicitly say they would not be like that. Okay. Also, that sounds like they're just, they're not ghosts. They're alcoholics. We're boozers. Or also they just don't like fraggles. Yeah. (laughs) Boo. That's not, it's a positive show. It's for children. Gotcha. Lon, any other, any other haunting scenarios? Oh, we'll do one more. Okay. The haunting of the homes of everyone who works at Sterling Cooper. See, here's my theory. 
<laughs> okay, we're okay. We're going back to Mad Men. We got a lot of shots of Henry Thomas. Like he he doesn't want to go home. He's at his office all the time. He's drinking heavily because his home is Bly Manor. Uh, that place is haunted. So I think everybody on Mad Men, that's why they're hanging out at work all day drinking. It's because all of their homes are haunted. It's not just that Allison Brie is a shrill wife they don't want to deal with. It's a haunting. It's a haunting. They stay at the office, booze it up. Yeah. That's why Pete Campbell can't face her. It's not his, his toxic masculinity and his deep shame. There's ghosts. I, I like it. And if they are staying at, their, at the office drinking booze the whole time so they don't have to go home, maybe we could call them boozers. Surrounded by boozers, yeah. I, I have to bring that back a third time. Yeah, during it's going to be our, that's going to be our first Binge Boys t-shirt. It's going to be yeah. a doozer <laughs> slugging a bottle of whiskey boozers. I think we all know that's where this is going. I like it. Folks, get on board now. Okay, I'm going to throw one more out there. Oh, I love it. The Haunting of Barney's Playhouse. And Barney and Baby Bop are dead the whole time. They're dead dinosaurs. And then the children melt them down for petroleum. And then they melt into the ground and we frack them. Wow, it's topical. That's what I like about this pitch. Yeah, I don't know. I'm still workshopping. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. Any chance I have to bring up Baby Bop? Yeah. That little yellow triceratops? No, yeah. green. Is Baby Bop yellow or green? I believe I Baby know. Bop is know. green. I'm going to look this up. Uh, we don't want to get this wrong. Yeah, let, yeah, Baby Bop is green, Hal. I, oh, my God. What, what green with a purple bow. What the fuck have I done? Yes, embarrassing. Indeed. Lon, we both watched Borat 2 on Amazon Prime, and doggone it, I laughed my ass off. I thought, <laughs> pretty damn funny. Very funny, I thought. Yes. Pretty, pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. Oh, yeah. So, Lon, I I don't know if it was better than the first one. I, I'm not going to lie. Uh, I was, you know, definitely had something to drink while I was watching, maybe even something to smoke, and I, but I was dying it's very funny i do think it's darker than the first one or the experience of watching it for me was darker i felt like the first borat it was i'm going to elaborately trick these people into revealing their dark inner sexism and racism and like I I'm, I'm gonna fool them into giving it away on camera and i feel like in 2020 all he really has to do is point a camera at people and they're very openly just revealing how horrible they are. Like, it's not that people are worse or believe worse things. It's just that we've now made it more acceptable to say those things out loud. Yeah, the world might be a little bit of a darker place. I mean, yeah. And so I don't feel Borat as a concept. It feels less like a game now. It feels less like a challenge. Can I come up with an elaborate scenario that will tease your horrible beliefs out and more just like, hey, I'm Borat. Well, Democrats caused uh, COVID and Hillary Clinton drinks the blood of kids, right? And everybody's like, heck yeah, they do. And it's like, well, there's no, this is not a challenge. This is just everybody's ugly now. Yeah, there people in the crowd at that, uh, I guess it was a guns rights rally or something, 
like uh, like chanting will chop up the journalist like they did to Khashoggi. I mean, yeah, it's like chop him up like the Saudis do. I believe. Yeah, chop him up like the Saudis do. Like, wow. And then, you know, in that bake shop, just throwing out this offering. Will you write this horrific thing on the cake? Right. Sure. No problem. Yeah. Not like, even. Right. And none of this is a knock on the movie. It's really like. It's just the reality of the times that we live in. Like, the movie's very good, and I do want to single out Maria Bakalova, who plays Tutar, Borat's daughter. He has, there have been proxies before in Sasha Baron Cohen stuff, but I don't think he's ever found a partner in crime who could really, like, keep up with him and who's as good at these kinds of pranks as he is. And she gets him access to all of these worlds he would not have otherwise been able to film in. And it really, like, she makes the movie, I think. She owned it. And she fished in Rudy Giuliani like a goddamn tactician. Like, like Rudy was just, like, giddy as a schoolboy watching, like, her say stuff like, oh, maybe I could be your Melania. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, the Rudy stuff is, but I mean, even the the conservative Republican, like, women's empowerment group, uh, the babysitter, the debutante ball. Yeah, like, there's just, it opens up a whole world, because even if you don't recognize, even if he can still get in places and people don't recognize this is Sasha Baron Cohen or this guy's famous, there's just a limit to what he as an older man can do. Sure, as an older man and as a very recognizable character. Right. And, and, and so I think that this opens up really a whole new world for him in terms of like the freedom of what he can sort of do now. And I will make an opposite point, an opposing view to what you're saying. It did shine a spotlight and bring out a lot of the horrific nature of some of these people. But then again, it also showed the humanity of some people who you might not normally want to consider that there's depth to like those two guys who were into QAnon and they hated Democrats and everything. They were other than that, which that's a lot of stuff to digest. They were nice enough guys. Like they were kind of like easygoing, like country dudes. I mean, you know? it was very kind of them to accept Borat into their home during quarantine, but I would not necessarily call them like, I mean, they're probably pretty pretty terrible dude i don't know if i would be like that like i thought you were going to bring up some of the actual people who seem like they're probably good people like the babysitter the babysitter and or the, the, women or in the judith temple. the holocaust survivor yes i'm saying i want to kick it with those QAnon dudes yeah the QAnon guys throw are back like, a couple of Budweiser. i mean i think it's worth pointing out like they like Borat's white. Like, would they have invited Borat to come stay with them if he were not a white man? Uh, who knows? The, the jury's out on that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the babysitter was lovely and had a big heart. And the uh, ladies in the synagogue also. Yeah, I mean, that, um, right. And even like the, the women at the conservative empowerment meeting, like you sort of feel like they're going to come off very badly. And then they don't. They're very kind and, and, and affirmative to Tutar. She, she's doing something very embarrassing and they try very hard not to make her feel judged or make her feel embarrassed to their credit. Mm -hmm. I, I don't mean to say it's a horror show from beginning to end. It left me feeling a little sadder than the first Borat did. The first Borat felt like a triumph over these people. And the new one feels like a recognition of how far things have sank. 
Yeah, it's super funny. If you haven't watched it, definitely worth watching. Sasha Baron Cohen is brave. He goes for it. What's the name of the uh, his co-star again? Maria Bakalova. She's a Maria Bakalova. The entire movie is kind of a stunning rebuke to uh, Trump as well. Would you agree? I sure. I mean, it really isn't. I, it really doesn't focus on Trump specifically all that much. I mean, it it like there's a scene in the car where he's going through like he's he goes through the pictures of people. It always feels purposefully like it's not gunning for Trump. Like there's that scene where he dresses up like him, but that's to embarrass Mike Pence. It sort of feels like purposefully he was focusing less on Trump and more on. Trump's America, like what impact has having this guy as president had on how we talk to and treat one another? Sure. Yeah. My final thing on this, my wife told me. My that wife. My wife. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Stepped into that. But she said we've been together for three years and she said this is the hardest she's ever seen me laugh at anything. Me laughing at this movie. So take that for what it is. Yeah. Borat 2 is streaming on Amazon Prime. Oh, and back to Bly Manor. That, you can find that on Netflix. Another seasonal treat. Robert Zemeckis' The Witches, which is streaming on HBO Max right now. Lon, I'm, uh, uh this was a maybe the, the candy equivalent of candy corn for me. Yeah, I, I, I think this, I think there's an issue with Roald Dahl stories in terms of doing adaptations. Obviously, there have been good ones before. And obviously... Yeah, the first uh, um, Charlie Char- and the Yeah, and, 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 and obviously, look, the, some of the stories do feature characters who are memorable pop culture mainstays. Matilda, Willy Wonka. But I feel like he's writing these incredibly high-concept, elaborate conceits as stories. They're narrative engines. It's like, it's very involved. It's like, here's a big setting, and here are the rules, and here's how it's going to go, and they're very structured. And filmmakers who are adapting it tend to get very caught up in the nuts and bolts. Like, well, you got to do this scene, and you got to do this scene, you got to do this, and then the fizzy lifting drinks, and then the river of chocolate, and then this. And there just isn't time built in to, like, really get to know your characters and get to build out their emotional relationships in their world. And so we're always just kind of like, it's almost like the movie equivalent of a ride. Like you sit down and you hit all the familiar landmarks and you're going through it, but you don't feel anything. And that's how I felt about the Tim Burton redo of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. It's like we're seeing all the signposts that we know, like there's the elevator and there's Violet Beauregard and there's Mike TV and there's the golden tickets. You don't feel the emotional weight of any of it. And then this one, the witches, it's the same way. It's like, oh, okay, that's what witches are like, and that's how the effects are going to work, and now they're mice, and now they're at the hotel, and this. And it's like we hit all the beats, but it's there's no music. It's it's just, it's flat. Oh, one thing that bugged me about Tim Burton's uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory was the Oompa Loompas. I didn't like that they made the Oompa Loompa just that one. Um, Deep Roy. Yeah, I, I, I just found that, Weird. I liked my Oompa Loompa. I mean, I'm an Oompa Loompa purist. All right, Lon, sue me. You wanted sue them to be me, like Lon. little orange guys with green hair. Yes, little orange guys with little um Mary Tyler Moore curly Q hair. It didn't bother me that Burton wanted to come in and like reinvent the world. Like, I get that's the appeal of doing it, and I get that. And it's the same thing here. Like Guillermo del Toro was going to direct this, and then he got it fell through, and he got another job, and Robert Zemeckis ended up doing it, and like. 
obviously that was the appeal for those guys is like to visually recreate Roald Dahl's world on screen. And like, and that I'm sure for Burton, that was the appeal too. And I get that. And you want to do that, but it doesn't mean anything unless you also figure out the emotional storytelling component. You didn't get sucked into the emotional aspects of it enough. Like this kid, uh, his parents die, sadly, and he gets taken in by his grandmother, who's Octavia Spencer, uh, a.k.a. Ma. And <laughs> I know you're a big Ma head. Yeah, right? in, a, in a dual role as Ma in the film, <laughs> inviting them to basement parties. Better movie, The Witches or Ma? Oh, Ma, for sure. Ma, yeah. Ma's much more memorable than The Witches. Yeah, so we kind of forget that this kid's you know parents died, and he's you know just having... You know, there isn't as much emotional depth. And then everything kind of just happens. I don't know how the witches showed up in the same place that Octavia Spencer and her grandson, that hotel. It's all kind of loose. Like, I, I, don't, I don't remember. It is loose. It's too loose. It's all just happenstance. I don't remember the original story, but it, it's very much like, okay, so Octavia Spencer and her grandson see a witch. And they go, oh, my God, there's witches around. They must be coming for us. Let's go to this hotel to get away from them because we had a relative who once worked at this hotel. All of that is like very thinly sketched in. Then they go to this hotel, even though it's a luxury hotel and it doesn't seem like, are they wealthy? Like, how can they afford to just stay there? But OK, it's not sort of dealt with. But then the witch convention arrives and you would think, oh, well, let's. Now we have to leave this hotel, but it, it's all just to get them there. And that's kind of what I'm saying. Like, it's like because that's what happens in the book. They have to get there, but it doesn't feel like it's motivated. It just feels like, well, that's the next beat we've got to hit because that's what happens in The Witches. Yeah, some flimsy circumstance. Also, I feel like this movie, for me, it collapsed under the weight of Anne Hathaway. I'm just not. So I'm not strictly a Hathaway hater. I liked her as Catwoman. I think she's a delight in Devil Wears Prada. That is a, just a great movie. But here, this is Anne Hathaway at her worst. She feels like a theater kid who's just chewing the scenery, playing this evil witch whose accent changes constantly, and she's just being precocious. And I, I couldn't take it. It's too much in love with the witches. And I guess, I guess that's kind of what I was saying, like, I feel like Zemeckis got so caught up in recreating the world of the witches and the look of the witches and, oh, you got to do the, the feet with no toes and the claws and the hair. Yeah, also the rules of these witches, like, witches have been around a long time. You can't just, like, come in, roll doll and say, oh, this is what a witch is. Witches existed in Macbeth. Shakespeare wrote about witches. So Roald Dahl gave us these rules. I mean, the thing is, they're just the villains and they're not they're not interesting villains. They're exclusively like they hate children. They want to kill every child. That's very simple. So you don't need to spend that much time with them. They should be more like this shadowy menace. If you think about it in horror movie terms, you know, like it would be like Spielberg spending the first half of Jurassic Park just lovingly showing you the T-Rex from different angles like you got to kind of save that so it's scary when he shows up at the end. And like this movie has a real love affair with Anne Hathaway as the Grand High Witch. It wants to focus on her the whole time. It's like enough already. Like we don't get to it's not scary. She's just there. 
And then kids are being turned into mice. So we got this whole kind of would-be Stuart Little effect. With... Well, that's the story. I mean, you think the kids turned into mice. Although I was disturbed by the, and we'll, we'll kind of give away the end. What the hell? You guys know the story of the witches. Uh, in the end. Do they? Not everyone knows the story of the witch. The main character, this child, is going to just remain a mouse. And I feel like if you left it as subtext, that we all know that mice don't live as long as humans, so he's probably resigning himself to a shorter lifespan than he would have if he had remained a human. But okay, I feel like if you leave that as background, it's not that big of a deal. But they very explicitly make it in the movie context. Like, well... I guess I'm going to get old and die. I'll probably die around the same time as my grandma. And they make that like a heartwarming beat. Like, oh, I get to grow old together with my grandma and then we'll die at the same time. And like, that's not heartwarming. That's tragic. Like what grandmother wants to die at the same time as her grandchild? It's like, no. You well, if your... the grandchild is a mouse, what's the quality of life at that point? You want your grandchild to like live on. But as a mouse, what? I mean... I guess. Oh, and Lon, Chris Rock voiced, he's our, he's our narrator for most of it. I thought he was doing his, like, a sta- and I'm not going to do it. Yeah, maybe not. That might uh, venture into problematic territory. I'm not going to do it myself. I'm not going to make the Michael Scott mistake of doing the Chris Rock voice. But I felt <laughs> like, you all know what I mean when I say, I felt like he was doing, like, a bring the pain shiny suit bigger blacker back and forth yeah. across the stage chris rock voice not a let me tell you children a story chris rock voice. Yeah, i mean here's the thing he was just doing chris rock you know you get subdued chris rock in, in fargo. fargo but it felt like that it felt like fargo chris rock would be like the kindly old gentleman reading me the bedtime story as opposed to like Bring the pain, Chris Rock. Like, this Chris Rock feels like he's going to tell me about witches and then yell at me about his O.J. prize. <laughs> like, he understands why O.J. Simpson did what he did. And also... I don't think it was that witches. far, but I, I could see that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> see how I did that, folks? How I talked about it contextually without doing the voice? That's how you do it. That's restraint, Lon. A deft hand, a, a light touch. But I chose not to. Yeah, so if you have your niece and nephew coming over and they're like nine years old and you want to kill two hours or an hour and 45 minutes put on the witches it's good for uh kids never ending story is on netflix just put that one yes that better by the way how also features actor deep roy the oompa loompa from tim burton's willy wonka well played well played Lon. you remember that guy in the beginning who's riding the snail and when they meet up in the, the very first scene I'm going to be honest. I don't. Oh. He is. That's Deep Roy. He's the guy riding the snail. I could have said, yeah, but I haven't seen Never You could have. You could have so said, long. yeah, I'm proud of you. Thank you. Lon, did you want to recommend a couple of uh, horror films that you checked out? I did, real quick. So, the welcome to the Blumhouse. Blumhouse, the, the studio, Jason Blum's company. They are releasing four original indie horror films. Full films to Amazon Prime. They're all out right now. I watched two of the four. One's called Evil Eye, and the other is called Nocturne. I enjoyed them both. Uh, they're both worth watching. Evil Eye, Sarita Chadrai stars as a mother. She lives in Delhi. Her daughter lives in America, and she's she's fixated on her daughter finding a man and getting married and settling down. Her, fi- her daughter finally does start dating a wealthy, promising young guy, 
but the mom becomes sort of fixated on the idea that, that, that this guy poses a danger to her daughter and that there may even be a supernatural connection. This may be a reborn danger from her past. It's interesting in that it, it does, it stars, it's almost an all Indian cast. And mm-hmm. it doesn't just feel like a random generic horror movie and then they cast a bunch of Indian actors. It really feels organically rooted in Indian mythology and Indian superstition and supernatural ideas in the way that like an American movie about, you know, like what are sort of native like Bigfoot or the Boogeyman or some sort of American native scary threat monster. Yeah, like a tale that's uh, rooted in some kind of uh, cultural folklore. Right. It's got this idea of sort of karmic retribution and these idea of parents arranging marriages and all of that sort of feeds right into the movie, which is very interesting. Right on. Yeah, I, I think it's great to, you know, obviously to celebrate different voices and different mythologies and different cultures. And if you could do that and be true to it, but still having it be a horror movie that resonates and maybe not scaring you to death or scaring your underpants off. Yeah. But scaring you. My underpants remained on throughout the movie. I will say that. Gotcha. But were there some scares in there? Yeah. It, I mean, it, Evil Eye is, it's, it, it really is. There is a supernatural element, but it really is more like a thriller. It's a slow burn. It's mostly from the mom's perspective. The daughter, by the way, is played by, oh, I'm blanking on her name. She's in Glow. She was in Mr. Robot. Trenton. She was the character of Trenton in Mr. Robot. Sunita Mani is, is that actress. But it is really about their relationship. It, it, it is more like a, a thriller until the end. The other one, Nocturne, is more like a conventional horror film. It's about twin sisters. They are both at this arts boarding school. They're very competitive. They're both pianists. They both want to go to Juilliard or some similarly highfalutin music school. And one of them enters sort of a Faustian kind of arrangement, finds this possibly demonic or possessed book and starts using a dark power to gain the upper hand in their competition. Does the devil come by and say, I'll bet a fiddle of gold against your soul? No, there's no actual fiddling against the devil, but it's it's (laughs) close, but close. It's a little bit like whiplash, but with like a Faustian supernatural element. Oh, oh, uh, that what you're saying reminds me of the new Twilight Zone episode with Kamal Nanjiani, where he so- kind of sells his soul. He's a bad stand-up comedian, and yeah, Tracy Morgan is like, uh, hey, maybe you should sell your soul for better jokes. So this is like selling your soul for better music talent. Yeah, exactly. It, it was that, like like definitely whiplashy. At, at one point, uh, there is a J.K. Simmons esque music teacher. And he says the line, hey, music is a blood sport. And it's like, no, it's not music teacher. Yeah, a blood sport is a sport that Jean-Claude Van Damme competes in against a guy with giant pecs. Yeah, the kumite is a blood sport. Music is just the thing you do in an air-conditioned comfy room. Like, it's hard. Lon, you are the Schmodown's professor when it comes to movie trivia. One of the world's leading experts on blood sports. And I'm here to tell you, the music is not a blood sport. Could you tell me the name of that giant pecked guy? No, I just know he can move his pecs. A lot of people, I guess, can move their pecs independently of one another, but he can do so to a very impressive degree. Oh, yeah. Those things are bouncing and behaving. Yeah. He's got a lot of pec dexterity or pexterity. Pexterity. Yes. Cool. Well, thank you. And where can people find are these on Amazon? Those are all those are all there's all there's two more. There's one called The Lie with Joey King. It's a remake of a Danish film. And then there's another one called Black Box, which is about like a 
brain experiments and a guy who's trying an experiment to get his memory back. Felicia Ooh. Rashad is in that one. I have not seen those two. All four are streaming right now on Amazon Prime. Very cool, because I know uh, this time of year, a lot of people are looking for more spooky fare. And Lon, before we go, I want to give you the Dopey Guy review of the week. Let's hear it. This is uh, for the show on Netflix, The Queen's Gambit. Mm -hmm. I think that title is a bit of a misnomer because... It's not about the Queen of England having a sexual affair with the X-Men character Gambit. Yeah, I know. Very disappointing. Oh, yeah. An interesting match of accents in that relationship with the very posh, royal British accent and then the Cajun down and dirty Gambit voice. Yep. That down home Big Easy accent and that posh upper crust royal accent. Oh, I was ready to see those two have a sexual romp but it didn't happen, and I was very disappointed. Are you allowed to call the queen ma chérie? Is that allowed? I know her royal highness is usually how you would introduce her, but I don't know. Those if guards in the big furry hats might have something to yeah, say about Yeah, I don't know that. if that would be frowned upon. Gambit might find himself in trouble. Also, I was very upset that the movie the, A Perfect Storm wasn't about the X-Men character Storm having a relationship and finding her perfect man. Wow. You were actually, were you actually surprised by that? I know you're dopey, but that's pretty dopey. This is the dopey guy movie review. I totally thought it was going to be about Storm. Been holding on to that for 25 years too. Wow. Really disappointing. Oh yeah. I, I've been uh, <laughs> that's harboring a huge that. disappointment. Yeah. I will say that I'll come back and say that it's I actually enjoyed the Queen's Gambit. It's uh, <laughs> and but I was surprised that uh -huh. it's fiction. It, they paint this character uh, as like it, I thought it was like a contemporary of chess great Bobby Fischer or something. This high school prodigy. Right. You were like, I got to see what really happened. They're like, oh, no. Yeah, let me go down a Wikipedia rabbit hole. And I came up snake eyes on that Wikipedia. Like, I, I mean, so it, I I was actually a dopey guy thinking it was. Same thing happened to me after Hubie Halloween. I was like, did all of this really happen? Let me check the <laughs> Salem papers. And I was like, no, he Adam Sandler just made that shit up. Wow. How dare Crazy. he? How dare he? But I would say absolutely, Queen's Gambit is worth checking out. Anya Taylor-Joy, who you might remember from Split and various other... Sure. The the v -v Vitch. Yes. And was she in Thoroughbreds, right? Yes. She was. Yes. She's fantastic. And she does a great job of playing a high schooler that does not fit in, but has this one talent that becomes a passion. And it's got a great supporting cast. Her mother, whose name escapes me, she's tragic and very funny. And Bill Camp, who, for the first time ever, he's not playing a cop, uh, as far <laughs> as I know. Because he was a cop in The Night Of. He was a cop in Joker. He is a private investigator in The Outsider. So... Oh! <laughs> so, <laughs> Bill, great character actor, Bill Camp, can play everything from a cop... <laughs> To a private to investigator. To a private investigator. <laughs> That's the range, baby. Look at that uh, level of range. <laughs> oh, and the, the young girl who plays the younger version of Anya Taylor-Joy, who's in most of these scenes with Bill Camp learning chess, so determined, like she never cracks a smile, so great at playing this orphaned outsider kid 
who becomes consumed with this passion for chess. And they make chess really exciting. It's so well shot. So, And that's kind of hard to do because it gets fairly repetitive. Yeah, Anya Taylor-Joy, she's, uh, you know, she's an up-and-comer. She is, uh, like, mo- she's a mover and a shaker. He's a defense attorney in The Outsider, but he leads an investigation. So I'm going to count. From a cop Noted. to a lawyer to a detective, he's played them all, Bill Camp. Oh, yeah. Check him out, along with Anya Taylor-Joy, in The Queen's Gambit, which is not about the X-Men character Gambit doing it with the Queen. Nobody charges a playing card full of energy and throws it at any point. I was hoping it was going to be Taylor Kitsch, and then Will I Am would show up again. <laughs> oh, wow. Deep cut. <laughs> yes, X-Men deep cut. That's a, that's a, uh, that was X-Men Origins Wolverine, right? X-Men Origins Wolverine deep cut. Yeah. <laughs> Lon, it's been rather enjoyable talking about streaming programs with you. Lon, please tell everybody where they can find you. Find me on Twitter at L-O-N-S. It's only four letters. It's easy to remember. That's where I go. That's where I update everything. That's where I tell you what I'm working on and what's going on with me. You know, watch Shotta's trailers. They're good. Heck yeah. And I am at Hal Rudnick, H-A-L-R-U-D-N-I-C-K, on Twitter and Instagram, putting up lots of, just uh, talking a lot of shit. (laughs) Just come, we'll talk shit, and have fun, everybody. And I'll also be telling you, like, upcoming events and things like that. Brett Weinbach's uh, gangsta party line, that's what you just remind me of. Want to talk some shit? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Another great comedy video. If you haven't watched them, watch John Daly's Snowman video and Brent wine box talking shit video. yeah i believe it's called the gangster party line gangster party line you find that on uh youtube and uh please if you're not subscribed to our podcast already subscribe go and review us on itunes give us all of the stars that you possibly could five stars and uh hoot hoot Al Nation, thanks for listening and thank you starburns and thank you to our producer adam macias We'll see you next time, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye now. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch in the fuck out of shit.